Shalom, my friends. Welcome to the Bible study with Jim Martin in Lake Jackson, Texas. Today, we're considering a passage out of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14. It was a time of, uh, of great ministry opportunities and blessing, uh, but it was also a time of chaos and uh, uncertainty and of need. The people among whom Jesus ministered in the, er, in the early first century A.D. as we count time on our calendars today was a very troublesome time for the people of God, the, the Jews. Uh, they were, their land was occupied by a hostile, at times, enemy force, the Romans, uh, godless by their reckoning, even though the, the Romans worshipped a plethora of gods, many gods, uh, none of whom happened to be the real living one. But the, the people of God, God's chosen people, as they saw themselves, were in distress. And the message of Jesus, who was indeed the promised Messiah, was welcome to them. It was like a drink of cold water on a hot, dusty day. Uh, like a morsel of nourishing food when one is starving for truth. And yet, there was still chaos. As we have learned in our own lives and ministries, uh, where chaos is, God is not ruling that situation. So he, we know that He is not the author of confusion or chaos. He is a God of order and of peace, uh, even though following Him at times leads us into distress and to what many people call consider to be dangerous situations. But the safest place for us to do, my friend, to be, my friend, the safest uh, in the uh, universal and eternal sense, the safest place for us to be is right in the center of God's will. Sometimes He calls us to obey and to follow Him into situations where we can't see how it makes any sense. We can't see a uh, profitable outcome and yet we must obey we must trust him and obey so if you will uh, let's have a short prayer uh, get your copy of scripture if you're in a position to do so uh, open it up to your to the 14th chapter of Matthew's gospel uh, take whatever translation uh, make sense to your heart in whatever language, in whatever country we, you find yourself this morning or this day. And we're going to embark upon a study of following the dangerous Jesus. Lord God, we come to you in Jesus' name. And I pray for every brother and sister, every friend, uh, even those that I do not know yet that are in the sound of my voice, 
And I pray that you would in, invoke your peace in their hearts, that they would invoke your presence and your sovereignty in their lives, and uh, that you, Lord Holy Spirit, would become the, the uh, conduit of, of grace into their lives, that, that dynamic force from the Godhead that brings us and instills within us the desire and ability to do your will. You are the conduit of that grace. And we pray for your peace and for your quiet spirit this morning, uh, this day, uh, whatever time of day it is, and to the people that are uh, taking advantage of this, this venue, and that you would lead us into all truth today. These things we ask with thanksgiving, praise, and gratitude, and humility in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, there's a song here in the U.S. that's, I don't guess I've heard it for many years now, when I called up this teaching from several years ago that I delivered to a congregation, and I'm not sure which one. This song, Follow Jesus, I Will Follow Jesus. Anywhere he leads, I will follow. And uh, I will spare you uh, my singing of that song. And you can express your gratitude in whatever way makes sense. But it's a great little song. And we, I believe we sang that in youth group uh, back when, uh, when I was uh, working with youth. Uh, follow Jesus, I will follow Jesus. Oh, okay, I just lied to you. I, I tried to sing it. But anyway, uh, it was it was a cute little song, uh, and sitting there in Sunday school or in a small group, whatever it was, uh, even in in big church as we called it, there was really no risk uh, associated with that song. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we sang it often in the same attitude as we sang, "I will surrender. I'll surrender all." We say, well, as long as I don't have to, I'll sing the song. But following Jesus sometimes will cost you something. In fact, following Jesus and obeying Him will always cost you something. That's the whole point, is we must give all to Him. You say, what, is, what does it cost to become a Christian? Well, nothing and everything. Uh, anything that you would hold on to to establish your identity or your your purpose or your meaning. None of that counts in the heavenly account, uh, accounting and economy. All that counts is obedience that stems from faith. So, open up your copy of Scripture to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14. And I'm going to begin reading in what's called the easy-to-read version. Uh, it's a simplified English version. I normally study from New American Standard, but today let's read from the easy-to-read version of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14. I'm going to begin in verse 22 and read through verse 33. Immediately, and this is immediately after the feeding of the 5,000 and uh, that perhaps 20, that was 5,000 men, the, the crowd, the multitude was perhaps 20,000 people there that Jesus had fed with just a few loaves and fishes, if you remember, that's earlier in the, the chapter here. Uh, 
And so immediately after that, the people, John's Gospel says, they tried to make him king. They were going to take him by force and make him king. He says, this is the kind of king that we want, the one that will just feed us, and it doesn't cost us anything. Well, as we know, when we establish a welfare state, that never works out well. At any rate, I, di- I digress. Uh, so getting back to the Gospel, Matthew fourteen twenty two. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. And after he sent the crowds away, he went up unto the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And the fourth, and in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately, there's that word again, immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand, and took hold of him, and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's Son. Oh my goodness, my friends. Well, this is a fascinating story here. A true story from God's Word. And so we have to ask a question after singing that cute little ditty, follow Jesus, I will follow Jesus, anywhere he leads I will follow you, is would you? Would you follow Jesus? Well, what kind of Jesus would people prefer to follow? Maybe it's the the nice Jesus. The one that never challenges, never rebukes, never pushes, always compliments, always encourages. That's the nice Jesus. People would like to follow that one. Or maybe the safe Jesus. Completely comfortable, reasonable, predictable. Maybe the teacher Jesus is the one you would follow. The one who challenges my intellect, but doesn't try to change my behavior. Oh dear. We have a lot of people like that. Okay, make me think, but don't make me act. Helper Jesus, I'm in a bind here. Can you lend me a hand? A hand out? Okay, maybe even a hand up. Maybe the healer Jesus, that's the one I need. I'm sick and I'm tired of being sick and tired. Make me well. We know in Scripture many cried out to Him that were blind or deaf or lame or perhaps afflicted with leprosy and they cried out to Him, Jesus, Son of David, 
have mercy on me. Perhaps it's King Jesus. We have a lot of Christians now in the church, especially here in the West, that are, that are crying out to King Jesus. And He is King. But what he want, we want Him to do is smash my enemies and keep me safe and give me the freedom to do what I want to do. That's the kind of King Jesus I want. That's the kind of King Jesus the Jews of the first century wanted. That's the King and Messiah they wanted. How about the just like me Jesus? Only maybe a little bit better than me, of course. He understands me, but hey, it's okay. Maybe the holy Jesus. Oh, we're, we're pious and religious on that one, aren't we? The holy Jesus, high and lifted up on his throne. But actually, he is a little bit too high and lifted up to be involved with me where I am in my cesspool of a life and in the world that I live in. So I'll just kind of try to help myself. He's, he's too busy being high and holy. Well, insert your Jesus that you would be comfortable following in this blank, okay? Let's ask the question, would you follow Jesus if he asked you to do something dangerous? Or if perhaps he doesn't meet your expectations? Or even seems to abandon you in your time of need? Would you follow him then? That's where the disciples were. Now, they were in a time of intense training. You know, everything Jesus taught, He taught, and everything He did, the miracles and uh, even the confrontations and especially the quiet times when they came away to teach and to, to minister, they were all for the sake of His disciples so that they would learn what it mean, meant to be men of God, men and women of God. His cousin or, or close relation, John the Baptizer, the son of uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah, he had been executed. We look at that in the first 12 verses of this chapter, this very chapter. The ministry that Jesus and his disciples were involved in was exhausting. And seemingly it was, it was thankless. People simply followed them for what they could get. What, what can you do for me? Yeah, you did those miracles yesterday, but what have you done for me today? They had no resources. The, the resources that they brought with them were depleted, and they were met with a crowd, as, as I said, of perhaps 20,000 people, 5,000 men alone in this crowd that were hungry and thirsty, and they were demanding of them. I don't think there was a riot to ensue or anything like we see in our cultures today. But they were needy, needy people and they had no resources. Yet Jesus, with just minimal, insufficient in man's eyes, resources, met their needs in full and then took up the, the, the remainder to care for his disciples. There was a strong this response of the people, we can look over in John's Gospel, chapter 6, and find that, that they were going to, after Jesus did this, they were going to take him by force and make him king. So he, he departed from them, and he sent his disciples away so that they could have some space. 
they needed to go, get away from this because I know the temptation that, that they might have even succumbed to was to make him king uh, and to make him smash the Romans, right? And so he says, you don't need that. You don't need to take care of that right now. And I certainly don't need it. So he sent them away and he departed. He separated himself from, from the multitude. And you find yourself in the boat. Where, where do you find yourself in this narrative? Do you find yourself in the boat with the disciples or do you find yourself with Jesus up on the mountain praying to his Father? Uh, so many times we find ourselves in the boat with the disciples and Jesus is not here. He sent us away. He sent us out on this journey. Uh, we had no no knowledge of what he was going to do or what we were going to do when we finally got there. But here we are out in the middle of the, the Sea of Galilee and of all things, a storm comes up, right? The disciples followed Jesus by obeying Jesus. No, it didn't completely make sense. But by this time in their uh, following him, a lot of what he had told them to do didn't make sense. So they said, okay, let's, let's get in the boat. There's uh, many fishermen here. Several of us are fishermen by trade. We know about boats. We know about the, the Sea of Galilee. We know about sails and nets and oars. and We know about all that stuff. They, they had a known destination. He had told them where to go. All right. Now, and they thought they had the means to get there. Now, how he was going to get there, they had no clue. They, they didn't know how he was going to get there, but I guess that's his issue, right? That's his problem. Well, and they were very confident in their abilities to handle a boat and to handle just about whatever came up on the Sea of Galilee. You know, so why did Jesus do this? Why did he send them out in the boat by themselves? Well, he knew that they would not understand the crowd's reaction to that miracle of feeding. He knew they wouldn't understand. And he knew the disciples wouldn't get it either. And he didn't want them to be confused by the people's wrong motives. Uh, we, we've talked about that. So he sent the crowds away. Why did he send the crowds away? Well, Jesus knew the hearts of men. We can look there, there also in John chapter 6. He knew that they wanted to make him king on their own terms, and also they wanted more free bread. Of course, isn't that what a, free, uh, a king is supposed to do, or a president, or a congressman, or a prime minister? And he's supposed to give us free bread? No. But that's what the people thought, that, hey, I don't have to work. I don't have to go out there and gather firewood and bake bread. He'll just give it to us. No, no, that's not, that's not what he was about. So he knew their motives. He knew their hearts. So he sent them away and he separated himself from them. And now we're in the middle of the boat, in the middle of the sea, in the middle of a storm. And when confidence fails, their confidence was they're in on their own knowledge the, we're talking about the, the disciples now. Their confidence was in their own understanding, their own abilities, their own destination, right? Well, unfortunately, that's not where it belonged. Verse 24 of Matthew uh, 14. But when, but when the boat was already a long distance from land, battered by the waves, it was battered by the waves, the wind was contrary. 
And I guarantee you, in our societies, I don't ma uh, it doesn't matter what country you're living in right now, the wind is contrary. Contrary to the purpose of God and to the, the will of God and to the people of God. The wind is blowing and it's con contrary. May I have a, just a, a real intense, short sidebar here? You may know that both in the in both the Greek and the Hebrew languages, the words for wind and breath and spirit are the same words, and they're only translated according to the context. So when we say that the wind is contrary, in in uh, Hebrew that's rauch, in Greek it's pneuma, and pneuma is wind, it's breath. And it's also spirit. So we can, we can learn from this nuance by saying in the times in which we live, and again, it matters not what country or culture that you find yourself in, the spirit of the culture is contrary. It's contrary to the spirit of God. Do you understand that? It's contrary to the Spirit of God. And it's blowing hard against us. And it's whipping up the waves against us. What does that mean? What is that, what is that analogous to? It's analogous and to and meta, metaphorical for chaos. They had had chaos on the beach, on the hillside, the people were in a, in a milling about crowd of 20,000 people. What did Jesus do? Had them sit down in ranks. He had them sit down in, in groups of 50. Why? Because he wouldn't bless chaos. He wanted order. Okay, here. The wind, the spirit was blowing up the waves. It was causing chaos for these men, and they could not overcome the chaos on their own. My friends, this is a sobering situation, a sobering situation for us today. The wind of our culture, the spirit of our culture, is against the spirit of the living God. And the result is chaos in our culture, even in our lives. My friends, are you listening to what the Word of God and the Spirit of God is saying to you today? God does not bless chaos. He calms it. He induces order by His Spirit. So they were in a dangerous place and their confidence had failed. Their confidence in their understanding of direction and their understanding of their own abilities, of the understanding of whether or not Jesus was really with them. I think that this might be a good place for us to close. I didn't intend for this, to, this lesson to last multiple sessions, but uh, I think it's going to have to. Because I think you need to, to go off into your quiet time if you haven't had it already. And perhaps even if you already have had a quiet time, you need to consider this. What it means 
when the boat was already a long distance from the land and was battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. I want you to consider that and understand the meaning of that sentence. What does it mean for the boat to be a long way from land? That means that you're in a, a, uh, a, a very tenuous, by your own reckoning, a tenuous situation. Uh, your boat, whatever that boat means, is a long way from land, from a stable and trustworthy environment. And the wind is contrary. The spirit of our culture is blowing against you and the waves are beating against you. The chaos of the culture is beating against you. But I don't want to leave you with that chaotic situation. I want to read the next verse. Okay, and then we'll close this uh, portion of our study. They were, un- they were unseen. Jesus was unseen by the disciples. They were a long way from land. They could not see him, but he could see them. So we look in Mark chapter 6, verse 47, and we find this insight. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and Jesus was alone on the land, verse 48 of Mark 6, seeing them straying, straining at the oars. And I want you to notice as we close, my friends, that nothing obscures God's vision of you. Not distance, not darkness, not desperate consequences or circumstances, rather. None of that obscures His vision of you. Now, from a human physical standpoint, those two sentences make no sense. Well, the first one does, but the second one, verse 48, makes no sense. He saw them straining against the wind. Where are you today? Are you straining against the spirit of the culture? Are the waves beating at your little boat? Fear not, my friend. Be at peace. God sees you. And it's just like in Genesis chapter 22, when Abram, Abraham was about to plunge the knife into Isaac's chest. God says, hold, hold your hand. Don't harm the boy. I know now that you trust me, that you believe me, that you place your faith in me. And Abraham named the place Jehovah Jireh. And that actually means Jehovah sees. He sees you and he meets your need. Let's close this for today, my friends. And we will finish this by, <laughs> as God wills next week. Pray with me. Father, I don't know where my friends are that uh, are listening to this broadcast or to this podcast today. I don't know what kind of circumstances. There may be tears running down their cheeks right now. There may be hollowness in their hearts. But Father, you see them and you know them and that you know their pain. You know their desperate situation. And I pray, Father, that you would uh, bring order to the chaos that is battering them. 
just as surely as they were out in the middle of the sea, in a, in a rough sea in a small boat, just as surely as that, the, the, the spirit of this culture is battering them and blowing hard against the spirit of your, the living God. And I pray that you would bring peace and confidence in their hearts just now and give them this courage and the strength to follow you even into dangerous situations. Lord, we ask this with thanksgiving in the name of Holy Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, my friends. Now, may the, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. God bless you. We'll see you next week.